Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of spice. I'm Paul Bresson. And I'm Jason Neeling. And today we're talking about wasabi, the green spicy stuff that you've probably seen served with sushi. There are a lot of other uses for it too. But should we, should we just drop the big fact of the episode right now, Paul? Yeah. It's kind of unavoidable. It's, it's just the big thing that everybody should know about wasabi. If you've had wasabi before, it probably was not wasabi. That's the fact. Unless you're Japanese, then maybe it was. Maybe, but even in Japan, it's possible that you could have eaten fake wasabi. Because the actual wasabi plant is very difficult to cultivate, which makes it expensive and hard to get outside of Japan. So most of the wasabi that you see in sushi places around the world is almost always an imitation made from western horseradish, mustard, and then it's colored green with either food coloring or spinach powder. Yeah, I knew that most of the wasabi we ate in the West was not real wasabi. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it was dyed. I yeah. guess that shouldn't surprise me. Like a ton of food is dyed. But like now I like it even less. <laughs> like you yeah. dyed it green to make it look green? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Imposter wasabi. I saw that the Washington Post reported that as much as 99% of the wasabi sold in the U.S. is that fake stuff. Yeah, I believe it. I mean, it'd be hard to transport real wasabi here unless they powdered it first Mm -hmm. and then remixed it or something, which is done. Yeah, there are ways to get real wasabi, but even at stores, actually, if you're looking for something labeled wasabi, it might still be the fake stuff. Like there are no regulations about how it needs to be labeled or anything. So if you're looking to buy some, look at the ingredients, make sure there's actually real wasabi in there. Don't just look at the label on the front. Yeah, I've seen the wasabi plant called the Japanese horseradish plant. So it's similar, I gather, but it's its own plant. And the greenness is natural in real wasabi. Yep. So like I mentioned, I heard that it's actually even pretty common in Japan to find the fake stuff, probably due to the price of the real stuff. Like it's still expensive even in Japan. And they refer to the fake stuff as Western wasabi. Yep. In Japan. Yep. Western wasabi. <laughs> I mean, I still like it with my sushi. Yeah. Still gives it that little kick. Still better than nothing, but not as good as the real thing. Yeah. So let's talk about the real thing. Real wasabi, aka Japanese horseradish, is a plant species called Wasabia japonica of the family, I practiced this, Brassicaceae. Wait, Bra- Brassicaceae. Why do they have to make all those names all Latin and hard to pronounce, you know? Because the first guy that made a classification system decided it should be in Latin. Yeah, that's just how it is now. Well, I don't like that guy. It makes it hard. He was probably trying to be neutral. If you chose English or German or something, someone would get mad that they had to learn that language, <laughs> yeah. you know? Let's just choose a dead language that nobody knows. So. No favorites here. Yeah. <laughs> so that family of which wasabi is a part, also includes horseradish and mustard. So similar kinds of flavored plants in there, I guess you could say. Yeah, I didn't know the mustard part. Like going into this, I knew it was like horseradish, but I didn't Mm -hmm. know mustard was like horseradish. Mm -hmm. So wasabi is a short leafy plant. It kind of looks like spinach a little bit. 
I would say. Maybe with bigger leaves and longer stems, though. Yeah. You say that's fairly accurate, Paul? Yeah. I mean, it's a lot bigger. I wouldn't walk by and mistake it for spinach, but it's the same shape. Yeah. And the part of the plant that you're going to eat that's going to be ground up into that paste is the rhizome. Now, we've mentioned rhizomes in another episode. Yes, we did. The bamboo episode. Right, bamboo. So a rhizome is like this part of the plant that grows underground, and it's not a root, technically. There are roots coming out of the rhizome, but the rhizome is what is kind of keeping the plant alive and sending shoots up above the ground. Yeah? Yeah. It's like the part of the plant that's underneath the ground, but isn't roots yet. Yeah. The roots come out of it. Yeah. Like ginger. I think I made that comparison before. Ginger is a rhizome, the part that you eat. So what does wasabi taste like? We should talk about that. Wasabi is spicy, and it's a very strong taste, very strong flavor. Yeah, you could sort of compare it to hot mustard or horseradish, because they're all in the same family. And the spiciness is not really like the spiciness of chili peppers. It's a different sort of thing. Because with chili peppers, capsaicin is the oil that all that heat comes from. But it's actually a different chemical that makes wasabi and those other related plants spicy. It's called allyl isothiocyanate. I practiced that too. (laughs) So the spiciness doesn't linger as long. It's more of like you feel it in your sinuses, but it's not going to linger on your tongue really. Yeah, it goes like straight to my nose, and mm-hmm. then after a few seconds, it's gone. Right. Unlike uh, eating spicy peppers where it just builds and builds and builds until you're on fire. Yeah. is not like that at all. Right. I'm not a big fan of spicy peppers, but I'm into spicy this kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I like both. So this chemical that makes wasabi spicy has also been shown to inhibit microbe growth. So some people think that it can help prevent food spoilage. And since fake wasabi is made from a related plant, same chemical, this fact applies to both the real and fake stuff. Also, got one more fun fact for you in the intro here. Inhaling wasabi vapor has an effect like smelling salts. And I saw that researchers have actually been using wasabi vapor to develop a smoke alarm for deaf people. Okay. That's fascinating, actually. Isn't that awesome? I think I read that, like, one of the test subjects, a deaf person, they, like, sprayed wasabi vapor into their room while they were sleeping, and within 10 seconds, they were awake. Oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting. I was imagining them using it, like, for a boxer. He's getting beat up. He's over in his corner between rounds. They, like, shove some wasabi in his nose, (laughs) and he's like, wow. Yeah. Ready for action again, right? (laughs) I have a fun fact. What you got? Wasabi's a member of the broader cabbage family, Hmm. which blew me away. Cabbage is everything. All vegetables we eat come from cabbage. I'm becoming more and more convinced. Yeah, like uh, broccoli and Brussels sprouts. Like there's a lot of stuff very closely related to cabbage, right? Yeah, I'm not saying actually wasabi came from cabbage, but it is related. Yeah. A lot of those other plants did come from cabbage, though. Yeah. Like cabbage was bred specifically to turn it into different things, right? Yeah. 
yeah, it was like cabbage and now it's broccoli. And like, what? <laughs> yeah, it is really interesting. All right, time for some history. I don't have a ton about the history of wasabi, but Paul, what's the furthest back thing you got? So I saw that there's archaeological evidence that they were eating wasabi even in the Jamon period in Japan, which is before the Yamato culture arrived. So we're talking 400 BCE and earlier. Wow. They were already eating it, not cultivating it, Mm -hmm. but like, oh, find a patch of wasabi, grab a couple of them. And I heard like they maybe spiced up their venison with it. Hmm. And like you were saying, maybe it helped preserve, you know, if you slap some spices on some venison and put it in a cave, maybe it lasts longer. That's a possible theory of what they were doing with it. Interesting. So it's been, you know, people have been using it since people have been in Japan, basically. Mm -hmm. What's the earliest written record of wasabi you could find? Uh, Earliest mention of wasabi in a book that I could find is in something called the Honzo Wamyo an 18-volume medical dictionary from 918 CE, which indicates that the plant may have been used for medical purposes. Oh, wow. Yeah. I guess, again, with the antimicrobial properties of it. Yeah. Maybe uh, get a, something in your sinuses. You could try to burn it away with some wasabi <laughs> or something. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I guess, if, you, if you didn't have any other medicine, right? Yeah, you if you had try. a cold or something, it would help clear out your congestion. Yeah, yeah. I saw that uh, there are Buddhist recipes from 1000 CE to 1500 CE that contain a lot of wasabi, Hmm. or wasabi's part of it. So it's been a part of that cuisine going back quite a ways. Nice. So as I mentioned earlier, wasabi is very difficult to cultivate So farmers in Japan didn't figure out how to farm wasabi until the 1500s. People had tried, but it has, it's such a picky plant. They didn't figure it out until the 1500s. Yeah. It was almost the Edo period already Mm -hmm. by the time people started cultivating wasabi. Yep. And its use as a condiment for sushi became popular in the Edo period, started in the very early 1600s. Supposedly because it reduced the fishy smell of food and because they believed it could stop bacteria from growing. And that was even, I mean, it's, it's hard to tell exactly when people started figuring out those antimicrobial properties because nobody even knew about that chemical allyl isothiocyanate until much later. Yeah, people just realized things. They didn't know why, mm-hmm. you know, before the scientific method. Yeah. But they knew. I guess. And uh, back then, if you're eating raw meat without refrigeration, I think that preserving things would be a very important thing to, to their society. Yeah. I just wonder, like, it's amazing to me how they connect this one food to this one property. Because it's not like they're packing things in tons of wasabi, you know? Like, they would just eat a little bit of wasabi with something. So I wonder how they managed to figure out that the wasabi was maybe helping people not get sick or something. I think it goes back even further, like with the venison thing. I think I saw that they would like rub wasabi on the meat and then like store it. And the spiciness breaks down. So it wouldn't Mm -hmm. be like super spicy by the time they ate it. Right. Someone was probably just trying to marinate it 
and they like noticed that their meat was lasting longer than their neighbor's meat or something. And then who knows? I don't, you know, that makes sense. Cause I guess if you rubbed it on the outside of the meat, that's where the microbes are going to grow anyway. Yeah. The inside of the meat is safe. So yeah, they wouldn't need a whole ton of wasabi to see some positive effect from it. Yeah. I would, I'm guessing. We're just speculating, I guess, but it makes sense to me. So wasabi didn't become popular outside of Japan until sushi started booming in the 1980s. Yep. And now everyone all over the world knows what wasabi is or thinks they do. Right. So now is the section that I have labeled in my notes as, what's the deal with this plant? Well, we keep saying it's so hard to grow. We should probably talk about what it takes to cultivate wasabi. Mm -hmm. So in the wild, wasabi naturally grows along stream beds and mountain river valleys in Japan because those areas have the very specific conditions that it needs to grow. But even in Japan, it's really hard to farm on a large scale. So in Japan, it's mostly cultivated in specific places. On the Izu Peninsula in Shizuoka Prefecture, for example, also in Nagano, Iwate, and Shimane Prefectures. But, Paul, did you know, Japan's demand for real wasabi is so high that they import a lot of wasabi from other parts of the world, including the United States of America. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. In addition to the U.S., Taiwan, Korea, Israel. Israel. Uh-huh. Why? Didn't Israel come up, like, just the other episode, too? Yeah. Yeah, the koi one. About yeah, the... they have a vaccine for koi herpes. Yeah, what's up with that? Only in Israel. What's the Israel-Japanese connection here? I have no idea. We'll have to look more into that. Okay. Um, Thailand and New Zealand. All those countries send a bunch of wasabi to Japan. But most of the companies that produce it are pretty small because of how difficult it is to grow. Yeah, you can't just factory farm wasabi. Right. You need to like take care of it by hand every day. Mm -hmm. So let's go through the things that make it so difficult to cultivate. What do you got, Paul? Uh, Well, wasabi usually grows on the forest floor, so it doesn't do well with direct sunlight. Mm -hmm. So depending on where your field is probably exactly, from around May to October, wasabi fields are covered with tarps to prevent direct sunlight getting through to the plants. Okay. They also need flowing spring water. (laughs) That's so specific. Like the water can't be standing still and it's got to be from a spring. It's got to be really pure water. Right. It needs to be like crystal clear and it has to be between 55 and 65 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 13 to 18 Celsius. Yeah. Reading about this, I almost feel like you cough. Or sneeze, like, oops, I killed one of my wasabis, you know? (laughs) Totally. (laughs) So with all that water, you're also going to need soil that drains really well. The air temperature has to be between 46 and 70 degrees Fahrenheit, 8 to 20 Celsius. It needs just the right amount of nutrients. It prefers high humidity in summer. And even if you get all that stuff right, the wet conditions that it grows in makes fungal disease and stem rot super common. Yeah, you got to keep them well watered, but not too watered or it'll grow fungus. Yeah. (laughs) This kind of reminds me of the bonsai tree episode we did. Like all this stuff, you need to be right in that 
range. There's a perfect little range. And if you're outside of that in either direction, everything's dead. Yeah. (laughs) So even if you get everything right and you prevent the rot and the fungus, it can still take as much as three years for a plant to mature. So I actually saw that wasabi is referred to as the single hardest plant in the world to grow commercially. I believe it after all this. Yeah. The plants are, just to give you a picture, they're about two feet tall and two feet wide above the soil by the time they're ready for harvest. So it takes like two or three years to even like grow the plant that much Mm -hmm. because it's not getting direct sunlight. It's not getting the energy because that would kill it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, when you harvest it, the rhizomes are about seven or eight inches. That's what you get. Okay. Yeah. So they're not very big either. Like you go through all this work and you get this little chunk that you can sell. Yep. So a lot of people might not even want to try farming wasabi because even just the smallest mistakes can be super expensive mistakes. I saw that the seeds themselves even are almost a dollar each and often don't germinate. Like they're just duds, Got a big startup cost, you know? Mm. And I saw that some wasabi farms keep their locations top secret. They don't want anybody to know how they managed to farm the stuff. <laughs> if you figure out the right way to farm wasabi, you better guard that secret if you want to make a lot of money. So they don't even want to patent the techniques because to patent something, you actually have to tell how you do it. You know, they'd rather just keep everything completely secret. Only a few people on these farms like know everything you have to do to be successful. Yeah. Pretty crazy. So all this stuff makes real wasabi super expensive. Paul, do you have numbers on how expensive? No. More than most people probably want to pay. One pound can be over $100. One pound is a decent bit of wasabi. Yeah. But yeah, that's a lot of money. Yeah. That's about 60 times the cost of the fake stuff. Yeah, okay. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) It's funny, horseradish or Western horseradish or whatever must be much easier to grow. Yeah, much It's a similar plant, but more hardy maybe or something or grows quicker. Who knows? Yeah. I'll have to look into that maybe. Okay, so let's say you've actually managed to grow a bunch of these plants. You're ready to harvest them and sell them. That part is kind of difficult too because they don't make machines that harvest wasabi. Like if you have a field of corn, you can just drive this giant machine through it to harvest all that stuff for you. Wasabi needs to be harvested by hand, each individual plant. And then the leaves and the roots are going to be trimmed again by hand Because what you're looking for, like we said, is that rhizome. That's the part that's going to be eaten. And once you trim all the stuff off, it basically just looks like a big, thick root that's had all the little roots trimmed off of it. Yeah, that's exactly what it looks like. Mm -hmm. And it can be sold just like that as a rhizome. But I think Paul mentioned at the beginning, it can also be sold as a dried powder or as a ready-to-use paste in a tube, like a tube of toothpaste. Yep. I think I bought that stuff. I didn't look closely at the label to make sure it was real wasabi, but I think it was. So now we've got our wasabi root. Mm -hmm. How do we turn that into the wasabi paste that we all know and love? 
Well, it depends. If you're eating at a high-end restaurant, they're probably going to use one of those fresh rhizomes and prepare the wasabi paste right when the customer orders by grating it. Yeah. You peel the skin off. I'd say probably really carefully because it's expensive. So you only want to get just the skin and leave as much of the root as possible. Yeah. And then uh, you grate the peeled root. And they have uh, special tools to do this, don't they? Yep. There's a name for that grater, the Oroshigane. And I can actually share my personal experience here. I had real wasabi at a restaurant in Japan. Did you see them make it? I made it myself. Oh, really? Yes. So they gave me a little, a little chunk of wasabi and a grater. I grated it myself. And I just kind of want to describe how I thought it seemed different than the fake stuff, you know? Yeah. The texture was a little bit different. It seemed a little grittier, like not as smooth. Yeah, because you're just grinding it. It's not like some big production at a plant that gets it like perfectly smooth. Right. It's just like... Yeah, the fake stuff, I mean, it's they're using such a fine powder, it just turns into this perfectly homogenous paste, like Play-Doh kind of. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, real wasabi is going to be a little grittier. I also felt like it had more moisture. It's not like a putty kind of texture, you know? And the taste is a little different than the fake stuff, too. I mean, of, of course, that's why people pay for the real stuff. I would describe it as a little more earthy. Like, you can tell that it's, you know... It's a fresh plant that right. you just ground up. Exactly. It's not some processed thing that's been sitting in a tube. Yes. I just, I've seen the flavor described as smoother than the fake stuff, too. Okay. Did you grate in a circular motion? I hear that's how you do it. That's what I saw, too. So this is my I mean, this is my first and only experience grating real wasabi. So I don't recall if I did the, a back and forth or a circular thing. I do remember it was a little hard to grate because those graters, they have such incredibly fine teeth on there. Because it's not like you're grating it like you would cheese, like you're not turning it into chunks of wasabi. You're turning it into a paste, you know? So it's just these super, super fine little blades and there are no holes in the back of it. So you just end up with like a little bit of this paste on the top of the grater. Oh, it's on the top even. Yeah, it doesn't like, are you thinking it would go through yeah, I, some I'm holes? I'm not sure, yeah, what yeah. it's paste. Yeah, it just sits on top. Okay. So after you're just sitting there, did you like press it into a little ball? Or did you just uh, eat it I mean, from there? There's so much moisture in there, you can't really press it into a ball. When I got this, it wasn't served with sushi actually, it was with uh, some soba noodles. So I had read that the best way to do it is take the wasabi off the grater and kind of smear it on the side of the bowl for the dipping sauce. And then you dip the soba noodles into the sauce and kind of drag them up through the wasabi. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Did you, I heard you should let it rest 10 minutes to enhance flavor, but I've also heard if you let it sit too long, it like loses its spiciness too. Right. I saw five minutes is when it hits the peak okay. spiciness. And then after 15 minutes, that's when it's pretty much over. You got a 10-minute window. Yeah. Okay. That's about how long it takes me to eat a meal if I'm working at it, I'd say. Yeah. I mean, you could grind some more a little later, you know, if, you yeah, if you're making taking it a while to eat or something. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to the grater for a second, too. The grater I used was metal. 
But traditionally, graters for wasabi were made from shark skin because it has a texture a lot like sandpaper. It's good for turning it into a paste. Yeah. Yeah, I heard they use ceramic graters sometimes too now. Mm. And what you're actually doing when you grate it is you're breaking down the cell walls of the plant. Like that's how finely you need to grate it. And it's the breaking down of those cells that creates a chemical reaction. That's what gives you the spiciness. So that's why you have to wait the five minutes or whatever, five, 10 minutes. Let that reaction play out, Mm -hmm. create that spice for you. Yep. Cool. So now we know how to grow wasabi and we know how to turn it into that paste. So what are the foods that people are going to eat wasabi with? A lot of stuff. You can use it for all sorts of stuff. I mean, I feel like most people in the U.S. have only seen it with sushi, probably. And sushi is a funny one because when you're eating sushi, at least at a really nice restaurant, you're not really usually supposed to add wasabi to it because if it should have wasabi, the chef's already going to put the proper amount of wasabi in the, in the sushi itself. Yeah, if you're at a nice sushi restaurant. Like a lot of times with the nigiri sushi, that's the one with the little ball of rice and a piece of fish on top. I mean, you would never even see it really unless you disassembled it, but there's usually a little spot of wasabi right underneath the fish. Yep. So it was recommended if you're eating at a sushi restaurant, you can add a little wasabi, but just a little bit. If you go too much, it might insult the chef. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in the West, a lot of people like to mix that fake wasabi into their soy sauce and make kind of a slurry. and You might have heard that that's kind of frowned upon in Japan, but there definitely are Japanese people that do that too. So I say you can do what you want. You do what you want with your own food. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe, like you said, keep that out of the real fancy sushi places. Maybe just do that at like a conveyor belt sushi or, you know, a casual sushi place. Yep. Very popular with sashimi. Yes. Thinly sliced fish. So with sashimi, Same kind of idea with sushi. You're just going to take a little piece of wasabi, stick it on the fish. And if you want to dip that fish in soy sauce, you can dip the opposite end so you're not getting the wasabi into your soy sauce. One last note about sushi and sashimi. I saw that what is considered the ideal amount of wasabi depends on the oiliness of the fish. More wasabi is good for more oily fish and less for less oily. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't either. But I'm sure those high-end, fancy sushi chefs know all about that. That's how they know how to give you just the right amount of wasabi, just the right amount of soy sauce. They're putting a perfect little piece of sushi on your tray. Yep. They are the experts. Mm -hmm. I've also had wasabi sushi. What's wasabi sushi? You were there when I had this. Was it a conveyor belt sushi place in Yokohama? Okay. I remember. Yeah. And I got this, it was a sushi roll with real wasabi in there, but it wasn't like ground up. It was just a thick piece of wasabi wrapped up in this roll. And the crazy thing is like, it wasn't spicy at all. Because like we said, that spiciness comes from the chemical reaction when you break down the cell walls. So when you're eating a chunk of wasabi, if you were just to pick up a piece of wasabi and bite into it, it wouldn't be spicy. Maybe if you chewed it for five minutes, it would be. (laughs) Yeah, you just let it sit on your tongue and get spicy. Yeah. Yeah, it was good, though. I think you'd let me try a piece. Mm. It was was good. 
Yeah, it was good. So your make your own wasabi experience, you said, was with soba noodles, right? Yep. Yeah, it's very popular with noodle dishes, too. Yes. I've also had it served with meat in Japan at a yakiniku place where you get to grill your own meat okay. at your table. Might give you that. some wasabi as a condiment. Uh, one that maybe a lot of people have seen is roasted nuts. Yeah. Like wasabi peanuts or wasabi almonds. Or peas. Yeah. They uh, roast the nuts, maybe a little soy sauce and dash of sugar with some wasabi powder. Although it's probably the fake wasabi powder. Probably. Oh, they're pretty good if you like, if you like that little spice. Yeah. And they're called wasabi mame. Wasabi, wasabi mame. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, rice crackers. Sure. You'll see wasabi flavored. Senbei. What else? So you know how Japan likes pickling things. Of course. You can pickle wasabi too. Ah, wasabi pickles. Yep. In that form, it's called wasabi zuke. And they use the whole plant for that, actually. The stems, the leaves, and the flowers. We didn't mention that this plant also produces tiny white flowers. There's wasabi seaweed snacks. A little roasted seaweed. Sure. Wasabi flavor. I haven't had wasabi flavored ones, but that sounds good. Have you ever had wasabi Doritos? What? Because those exist. What? Yep. How have I not had those? I mean, they only sell them in Japan, I assume, right? Uh, it was definitely Japanese packaging. Yeah. Hmm. Next time, like we're at a 7-Eleven in Japan, we'll have to take like a second look. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Paul, did you see that the leaves of the wasabi plant can be eaten raw? I mean, I saw that, but then I also saw like side effects include diarrhea. And then I'm like, well, maybe you can't eat them that, or at least you shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I saw that too. I don't know why someone <laughs> would want to eat them if that is a side effect. But it's like, okay, you did die, but I wouldn't say they're like particularly edible. Yeah, but the leaves are supposed to have a similar flavor to, you know, the spicy stuff. Okay. I don't know. Okay. Uh, the leaves can also be cooked. I wonder if that makes them a little easier on the stomach. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, probably, right? Yeah, and it also removes a lot of the spiciness. Makes it taste a little more like spinach. Okay. And I saw that the leaves can even be fried into chips, kind of like kale, I guess. Okay. And then you put wasabi powder on them, right? <laughs> sure. More wasabi, the better. Another thing that I've been seeing more and more these days is wasabi mayo. Okay, yeah. You can use that in sandwiches, popular in fish tacos. You could use it for pretty much anything you use mayo for, I guess. The weirdest one I saw was wasabi guacamole. That sounds good. I'm not a huge fan of jalapenos, so make guacamole with wasabi instead. That sounds good. Yeah, I guess. Like, I would just put jalapenos in if I wanted spice, but yeah. it is that different kind of spice, so maybe that would change it somehow. And it's a different flavor, you know? Like, chili peppers, they don't just have that spice. There's a sort of pepper flavor that you get with jalapenos especially. Sure. Sure. I mean, they do taste like peppers. Usually you don't eat enough jalapeno, at least in my opinion, to get a lot of flavor out of it. Mm, I can tell the flavor. Yeah, they have you, a flavor. If you don't like it, maybe it's a little more pronounced for yeah. you. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the nutrition facts of wasabi. And I mean, it's normally consumed in such small quantities that it doesn't really matter what the nutrition is like, but 
if you're curious, it's about 70% water, around a quarter carbohydrates, about 5% protein, and a little tiny bit of fat. But the most interesting stuff about the nutritional properties is that wasabi may also have cancer-preventing properties. Cool. I've heard that about a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I emphasize the word may because I'm know, not I'm not sure if there's more stuff out there that may cause cancer or more stuff out there that may prevent cancer. I've heard yeah. so much of both. But. Yeah, there's a ton of news that comes out about all sorts of foods like, oh, this can or may do this and it's like we, how much of We injected really a have? rat with an ungodly amount of wasabi and here's what happened. Like, I don't know if that's got the uh, Real world ramifications. I'm just making up that experiment. That's okay. I have rat facts here. They did did experiments with wasabi and rats. Let's hear hear the rat facts. They did studies on rats that indicated that extracts from wasabi can help prevent bone loss. Other studies suggest that it can lower inflammation, improve heart health, suppress obesity. And uh, the theory behind that cancer-preventing thing, I have some detail about that. Apparently... The isothiocyanates, those are the chemicals that make it spicy, those appear to bind to and kill cancerous cells. I have heard good things about like eating spicy foods being healthy for people, even though it may be different spices yeah. acting differently. I'm not sure. I guess I've heard stuff like that too. The chemicals are also supposed to neutralize carcinogens, inhibiting the growth of cancerous cells. Okay. So... Like I said, take that all with a grain of salt because who knows how pronounced these effects are. I doubt that you can cure your cancer by just eating a huge ball of wasabi, <laughs> but... But you could try. You could. <laughs> so if you're in Japan, you can obviously experience wasabi by eating it. Mm-hmm. But, but you should do some research about... Where you're going, make sure that they actually use real wasabi if you want to try real wasabi. Yeah, try to find a restaurant where they'll either make it fresh or let you make it, mm-hmm. which I didn't know was a thing. That was cool that you got to do that. It was cool. I was really excited when I saw that. So there's actually a place called Dio Wasabi Farm. In Azumino. And it looks really cool. It does. Azumino is west of Tokyo, a ways. Looked almost straight west, but not super close. Okay. Um, it's a wasabi farm with large fields of meticulously maintained networks of small streams winding through to feed the wasabi this clean, fresh, running water that it so desires. Yeah, it looks really cool. It's the world's largest commercial wasabi farm, actually, and a really popular tourist attraction, apparently. Yeah, there's walking trails between the fields that are developed for tourists to walk along. There's a shrine within the farm called Dio Shrine, which enshrines the spirit of an ancient local hero, Hachimen Dio, which the farm's actually named after this guy. Cool. So that's cool. Uh, There's a small cave on the property that apparently has something to do with the legend of Dio as well. Hmm. So there's lots of stuff to see. And what I, another thing I thought was really cool is they've got these huge old-fashioned wooden water wheels alongside the river that still turn and move. I don't think they're using them to actually do anything. But 
those aren't like old ancient wheels from uh, when they used to use them for power. They actually built them for a Kurosawa film. <laughs> His film called Dreams from 1989. Wow. And they just left them standing there because it's just like such a cool atmosphere and feeling. So awesome. If you're into cinema, that's like a really cool tie-in with this farm. And that means they filmed the part of the movie at the farm too. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, there's multiple shops, there's a restaurant, and they sell everything wasabi related. That's my favorite part. <laughs> Dude. Yeah, some of this stuff, wasabi ice cream. I wasabi soft that. serve ice cream. That sounds really good. That's on my list right behind the sake ice cream that you got yeah. to try. Yeah. Wasabi chocolate. Yep. That could be good. Spicy chocolate can work. Mm-hmm. For sure. I've had, uh, I think I mentioned before, I had the chili pepper Kit Kats in Japan. Yeah. I bet there's a wasabi Kit Kat. There's got to be. I've seen them. Okay, they yeah. definitely exist. <laughs> wasabi curry they have here. Okay. I've yeah. never seen that before. I could dig that. Wasabi sausages. Sounds good. You might be into that. All this sounds good. I would love all this stuff. And they sell the wasabi paste and the powder. and. I didn't hear you mention one that I read about, Paul. Oh, what's that? Wasabi beer. Yeah, wasabi beer. I would definitely give that a go. Yeah. Spicy beer, huh? A little kick to your beer. Ooh. Sounds awesome. Yeah. Now I kind of just want to mix in some fake wasabi into beer just to see. <laughs> I could imagine that being good. Uh, wasabi dressing too. So maybe a spicy little salad. Hmm. All right, I'm gonna stop talking because now I kind of want to go get some beers and wasabi. Yeah, we'll make our own wasabi beer tonight. <laughs> yep. You got anything else, Jason? Nope, that's it for me. All right. Well, I hope you learned something about wasabi and I hope you have a chance to try the real stuff at some point if you haven't already. I'm pretty sure I have a picture of that restaurant that i went to i can i can show you what it looks like to grind your own wasabi i'll put that on our instagram sjp podcast if you want to check that out nice you can find our website at sightseeingjapanpodcast.com you can send us an email feedback at sightseeingjapanpodcast.com what's our next episode paul on the next episode we're going to be talking about animal islands and villages this one will be fun there's so many places in Japan where you can go hang out with animals, and we're going to learn all about them. Yes, we are. Thanks for listening. See you next time. <laughs>